Hey, are you looking to evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness spirituality and personal growth in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary spiritual practices to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you live your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Walk on the Wise Side show from Urban Spirituality. With your host here, it's Prash K. And once again, I bring to you Another guest from the depths of space, time, and the wide jungles of the urban landscapes that spread across the Western world to find somebody who has walked dark journeys in spiritual life and come back to tell the tale. We have this gentleman with us right here. Allow me to introduce him for you. Our guest is a Danish-born ex-hacker and an ex-professional gamer who was associated with the infamous WikiLeaks and who then went on to become a famous, or I should say infamous, international traveling speaker. He's also the force behind a Ask a Monk project. He's been a monk for many, many years, and now he's turn into a corporate speaker, taking his diverse experience and using it to enhance people's lives all over the world. Please show your appreciation for Klaus Nielsen. Thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Happy to be here. Klaus, you better correct me if I said anything wrong here. I mean, uh, it, it was mostly on point. Yeah. Nothing, nothing major. We need to adjust there. And do we? Um, yeah. Let's just a quick disclaimer. Um, is the Pentagon still out after you, or is that a done deal now? I don't think they ever really figured out that we 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 kind of paid them a visit. This is many years ago. Uh, yeah, we 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 kind of hacked into their servers, uh, and um, and left a little message saying that there's something they could have a look at here if they wanted to up their security. This was back in the 90s where it wasn't right. really that difficult. So uh, it was like a so, benevolent hack, right? It was like a well-intended hack. That's the thing, right? That media sometimes portray, uh, portrays hackers as criminals. That's not. That's a small, small subsegment of, of hackers that are actually breaking into systems. And it was not really something we were that interested in. Uh, hacking is more about looking at something without any preconceived notions and seeing what can I actually do with this rather than just doing what you've been told to do with it. So it's trying to, it's kind of like thinking outside the box. And, uh, and so I, yeah, but, and in, in a fun way, there's not so much difference between being a monk and being a hacker because what I did as a monk was I was hacking my own consciousness. I was looking at it. Okay, let's stop thinking in the way that I've always been thinking. Let's just try and, and distance myself a little bit from that and look at what can I actually do 
with what I have. And, and that is all we have, is really our thoughts right. and feelings and emotions. All the other stuff, it comes and goes. So all we have is actually what's in here, right? Right. So in that sense, even though it seems like it's a huge leap from one lifestyle to another, in fact, it's not. It's actually very closely related. It's just like instead of ex- external hacking or hacking systems, you're hacking your own system. Uh, and 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 what I found out was that there's a huge capacity inside us that we're just we're not using it because we're not used to use it, right? And so we have this conventional way of thinking, right. uh, and we just we stick with those patterns instead of trying and 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 break them. So so in that sense, life became very interesting for me when I started hacking myself instead of you know. So so yeah so that so. That, that's and that's what I'm using now when I travel around. I, I give talks and, and try to help people because that's why we have problems. We get stuck in a pattern, and, and for some reason or another, it stops working. We we stop getting the results right. we want, and then the problem is how do I break out of that pattern? Right. You know. So yeah, that's. I wanna I wanna delve a little bit because I know that you had from all accounts, a fairly normal, a fairly pleasant, uh, one would say even an affluent childhood. You had a steady childhood, but I know that from our previous discussion, something wasn't quite right because it seemed like you had all the facilities and yet there was something not right. And I know you also had a successful career as a gamer and a hacker. I'd love you to elaborate a little bit about your younger years and mm. what was going on and what yeah. small small nagging wound was building mm. up inside you that caused yeah, you to so, be dissatisfied well initially it's not it's not a bad thing i think all children are philosophers because they have to be because they have no like idea that. how the world works they're suddenly there they have to think about how does everything work right okay but then as as we grow older we we make the mistake of thinking we've found out. And, and that is aided, in my experience, was aided by school, which teaches a very uh, narrow way of thinking. And they were teaching us uh, a lot of factual knowledge. But for me, it seemed odd that I don't even know who I am, where I'm going, and why. And so what's the capital of Colombia seems pretty superfluous for me when I don't know those fundamental questions. And so as, as I grew up, that became more and more of that nagging feeling that you were talking about, that wait a minute, it's a trick. Nobody knows what they're doing, right? right. Not even the adults. They have no clue. They're just trying to cover it up with facts and right. enjoyment. So, so as I, I grow up and I, uh, start, uh, I mean, I joined this community, you could say, like an international community of hackers. Mm. People who like to play around with, with systems and computers and do stuff that they're not supposed to do, not criminal, but just creatively. Um, and I pivot that into a career in the media industry, uh, making video games and, and TV programs for a company. Uh, so in that sense, I didn't, I didn't get a real career. I just went like 
autodidact into my professional life at a quite young age. Right. And, and so for a young guy around 20 years, I had quite a lot of money. Uh, I, like you said, I come from a very steady background. My parents are still together, love each other. We had money. My parent, my father was quite successful in his professional life. And so it was a very stable upbringing. There was no, there was no trauma in, the, in my childhood. Um, but I still had this feeling that there's something very fundamental missing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so at one point, it just culminates that I, I think to myself, actually, there's nothing here that will make me happy. I tried it all. I tried art. I tried the money. I tried making my hobby into a job. That didn't work either. I had a girlfriend. I tried the drugs even, you know, and it just it didn't work. There's sure. There's some happiness there. There is, but it's quite small. And the amount of work you have to put in to get it seems to grow. Mm-hmm. And the happiness seems to decay, like, like what you get out of it. It's almost like an addiction. You see people addicted to drugs. They have to use more and more of it. And, and they don't get that high in the end. They just get not suffering, right? Right. I felt that was happening to me on, on all aspects of my life. And so one day I just decided out of nowhere. I, to this day, I don't really know what specifically triggered it. But I just woke up and said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I just gave away everything I had. I gave it to friends and then to family. And to be and clear then- here, you had your own apartment at the time. Yeah. You had your own apartment. You had a vehicle. You you had your own space. It, what most I mean, people, yeah. right? Was what not most a- professionals are fighting for at the moment, just struggling to get on the property ladder or even have a place that's their own and rent. Yeah. A lot of people still live with their parents. You had yeah. all of this in your what twenties? Yeah, yeah, early twenties. Yeah. So so, but but it was uh, it was like I say. I use I often use the term like. I don't own things. Things own me. And that was what it felt like. It was a burden. I, I don't, these things don't work for me. I work right. for them. I work to maintain them. And the more things I have, the more I have to work. And the more uh, nervous I get about losing things, right? So, right. so it, it kind of took up a lot of my, uh, my resources. And I, so I didn't feel it. it I wasn't free. I was, I was trapped. I felt trapped. So, uh, so with the, with my hacker mentality, I thought, you know, okay, what do I actually have to work with here? Right. Well, if these things are not making me happy, let's stop assuming that I have to keep them. Why do I assume that? It's just because everyone keeps their stuff and they, they have an, you know, up, up, up in the attic or down in the basement, they have all the stuff they're never using. And it just grows and grows. So why don't we start by getting rid of that, right? So, and the, the, the fun part was that as I started giving away these things, initially it was difficult because you identify them. It's almost like sure. part of my identity. Sure. But then it gets more and more fun as you give away. You become more and more light. The, the, the world gains color. It becomes warmer, you know? And so the final thing I gave up, was the, it was the apartment. And I was free. I had two bags with the bare essentials and uh, that was it uh, after a bit of traveling I ended up in India and uh, that was where I, I 
was introduced to this Vedanta philosophy. Uh, that basically basically talks about hacking your own. Let's talk. Let's talk about that a little bit. You you gave it all up, and then you say you met. You went to India, or did you meet somebody that gave you a spiritual insight that really drew you towards them? Um, well. Actually, what happened was as I was giving away all my stuff, I found a book that a monk had given me. And I thought, why don't I keep this one book? It seems like this might be the time to read something like that. Um, And from that book, I became interested, curious. I would say curiosity uh, developed. And so when I came to India um, and, and I met this spiritual teacher, guru. Um, I basically listened to him for five minutes and I knew this is why I'm here. This guy is, he was, he's like originally from Venice beach in California. And he did something similar to what I was doing, like only 35 years earlier. Right. So, so uh, he obviously he'd been studying and teaching for many, many years, decades. And so, you know, I didn't have anything in in one sense, I was almost already a monk. Uh, I just didn't know it yet, uh, and so I just I settled there, um, and yeah, studied uh, for many years. And as I studied, uh, people started asking me to also say something once in a while, and uh, and slowly that became the catalyst for me giving giving talks, giving classes, and traveling around the world. Well, let's talk about that because you spend a lot of time in temples and monasteries, ashrams, you can call them. I understand yeah. you spent time in India as well as in Western countries. Is that right? Over, That's over, true. And this was That's over true. a period of uh, nearly 10 years. It was nearly a decade that you spent time in, yeah. in a monk life, right? It, it, that's, that's, a, that's a big amount of time. Uh, mm. And I have a question here. Somebody's asking me right now. So I'm going to dive in and ask a question for you. Yeah. Um, somebody wants here wants to know, do you not miss that awesome life that you had when you had your own apartment, your own freedom, and you gave it all up to wake up at ridiculous time, share a room, uh, what does it say here, share a room with five other men, share a toilet, <laughs> and eat, eat, eat rabbit food? What are you going to say to that? Okay, rabbit food? Um, actually, honestly, completely honestly, I can't remember having missed that. I, I, it was a profound experience uh, for me to, it, it, it sounds like a cliche, but I, I felt like I found myself. It was like I'd been living for years and I'd just been going through the same kind of motions and I'd forgotten who I was. You know, I, it felt like I became a child again when I became a monk. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so no, not really, not really. It's All not, right. it's not a comfortable life, but you know what? There's very few lives are really comfortable. Right. And in my experience, the most comfortable lives, usually the most boring ones too. So all the good stories usually start from something like, okay, I was going from Mumbai to Kolkata by train 
and there had been threats of uh, Islamic terror in Mumbai at uh, that time. This is a true story, by the way. So, uh, but I have to go because I, I have my ticket and I, I just have to go. So I just pray to the powers beyond my control and I go and I find out at that point that I'm leaving from a train station in a Muslim neighborhood and I come to the train station and the train is delayed by eight hours and I'm dressed as a monk, as like a Hindu monk, right? So my point being that the, the good stories always start with something going wrong. Then you have something to talk about. Right. Like you see superhero stories, usually not one of a guy who goes in to his, to his kitchen, opens the refrigerator and takes out some milk and pours himself a glass of milk and then drinks it. It's not, I mean, that's nice. It's comfortable. You know, if it's a new kitchen, it's really great. But it's not really that interesting. Right. You know, that was what I, we were talking about earlier, is that we assume that comfort will make us happy. But can we really trust that assumption? Yeah, I like really. that because I like that a lot because, you know, what you're effectively saying here is that could being uncomfortable is a form of a life hack. It is. It be, it, uh, or at least. We need to learn how to, 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 it sounds ridiculous, but be comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. You see a child, they, they have an ice cream, they drop the ice cream, the world breaks down. The whole universe ceases to exist and everything is about crying and wailing and me, me, me. The right. grown-ups, they don't call 911 on this situation. They kind of laugh it off because they know it's not that serious. Right. So when you're an adult, you crash your car, you cry, and the whole world breaks down. It's just another form of the ice cream. It's the same situation. Right. So what, what, what has happened? Why, if the adult drops the ice cream, is not a big deal. Why? Because the adult has dropped quite a few ice creams or whatever else. Totally, you know, I, right. So, so we, we get accustomed to that you No, know, life is not supposed to be easy all the time. It, it won't be. Uh, and, and the more we get accustomed to that, the, the happier we will be. Well, let's talk a little bit about the happiness because I think here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Let's agree. And I agree with you. Life isn't supposed to be easy all the time, but there has to be a way of living life where you're more in harmony with your more in tune with your inner being and the outer world. That is to say that you're not struggling as much for the bare necessities of life as you mm. ought to have to. If a struggle is to be there, a struggle should be there to strive to better oneself internally. Let that struggle be more to do with refining our character and perhaps less about trying to achieve so-called objectives that society has put upon us. And I wonder if that's a piece of wisdom that we can get out of this, folks. And if you're hearing this, um, I'm guessing that you, like most of us, have been programmed in the Western world and now, sad to say, the Eastern world to chase a life where we are having to work eight hours a day, 10 hours, 12 hours a day to bring in a paycheck. Why? Why? So we can have a credit card, so we can have a $10,000 limit, so we can go and buy stuff that we think that we're going to need now or maybe in five years time. And then we get greedy and then we think the thing that we bought last year isn't good enough. So we go buy another thing. Is that what it's about? Are we doing this to impress ourselves? Oh no, wait a minute. But I hear you say to me, oh yeah, you're listening in and you're saying, no, 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 it's not for that. I'm providing for my family here, guys. Don't get it. Don't get all hot up on me. Don't be fronting. I'm 
providing for my family, for my kids, for my children. I got to have a nice place. I want to have, I want them to have the best thing in life. That's great. You want to have all that, but how much is enough? And I think Klaus, this is my concern here. I feel that maybe in your experience, your, I feel that one of the advantages you've had from your monk life is that your expectation meter or your values meter has been reset and therefore mm. you're not buying into the same bullshit that a lot of us are having to buy into well um in a in a sense like if you t- like if we just backtrack a little bit we're saying that life is not supposed to be easy it's supposed to be inspiring because when it's inspiring it doesn't matter that it's hard mm. you see someone winning a leg of the tour de france he's he's He's, he's struggling coming up the mountain. Right. He's in pain. He's been sitting on that bicycle for, for hours, but he's happy because he's winning the leg of the Tour de France because he's inspired to push on because there's a purpose, and that's the key. There has to be a purpose with it. It cannot be just about the externals. I think so that's a great thing. Yeah, struggle with purpose is kind of what you're saying. It's, so if you're saying, I want the best for my family, I want my family to have the best, make sure that they feel they have a sense of purpose. Then you can have the Mercedes-Benz, you can have the pool, you can have the wine cellar. Fine, I'm not against that, not at all. I live very comfortably now, by the way. It's not about seeking out discomfort. It's about taking it as it comes with a higher purpose in mind. Nice. Not only will you be happier, you will also be more likely to succeed and actually get those things because you will be less uh, emotionally affected by whether the results come immediately or not. So you will actually be more steady in your approach. It's a more intelligent way to approach it. I love that. I love that. I think it comes down to purpose. And I think people are tuning in here. I got a couple of points coming through right here. Rena's jumping in. Hey, Rena. So true. We've forgotten to live simply without materialism and stress. I'm guilty too, she says. I think we're all guilty mm. to a degree. Ben, Ben's hopped in. Ben, hey, discomfort leads to adaptation and eventually enlightenment. Beautiful, beautifully said. But I think this is the point here, that there has to be a purpose. Otherwise, if we're suffering without purpose, that wears us down. But when we're suffering, if there's struggle, but with a purpose, a higher purpose, I guess, what, we, what you're talking about, Maslow, Maslow talks about it, classic psychology books talk about it, is, you know, we're talking about sublimating our existence for something higher. And that means that, you know, everything that we're doing for our families is also for a higher purpose, not purely to put bread on the table, right? Yeah. And interesting uh, story when you mentioned I did this ask a monk I would go to the public spaces in, in large cities and, and sit publicly as a monk with a little sign ask a monk any topic I did that at, in front of uh, the science department at Harvard in Boston and uh, I thought this is going to be I'm going to be really tested now because the science department most prestigious Harvard, right? university in the world right right what I found was the exact opposite. It's the only place I've done it where there were no trick questions. Usually you always get a few people who want to try and trick you. You know, can you, right. can I really ask you anything? Right. So, so I'll give you an example. The one guy in Arizona came up in Phoenix and said, what's the tallest building in Phoenix? Right. Anything. Right. right. So I, I had to trick him back. It was a, it was this thing I developed a knack for. So I said, well, the tallest building in Phoenix is why you're not making progress in life. <laughs> and he was kind of, kind of stunned by it, right? 
but because he he wasted an opportunity. He tried to trick me. He have asked anything, he right? knew the answer to that question, right? So so he he wastes he wastes opportunities because he has an ego problem. But yeah. back to Harvard, that was none of that there. These these kids, they had very profound, very well thought out questions. And and one theme that I noticed there was, what's my purpose? Why am I doing this? My parents, they're literally spending like $60,000 a year. On education, yeah. On on this education for their child. And the child feels a lot of pressure, obviously, right? But they don't know why they're doing it. They don't even necessarily know if they want to be a physicist, right? Or a business lawyer, right? Parents may have those ambitions. Why? Because you can get all the things that somehow are supposed to make happy but we can see that they don't it not in themselves right so it was very interesting to, to talk with these uh, young uh, boys and girls for from harvard because they were they were very um i, I almost used the word enlightened i mean they're 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 under mental pressure here and so it's natural to start thinking about why am i doing this right so, so, so we have to, it's, it's, it's absolutely essential that we sometimes take a step back in our lives and ask that question. What's the end game? Here? You know, what, why am I doing this? Okay. Uh, agree. Hmm? What then talking to questions, what were the top two or three most profound or memorable questions that you've been asked in all these years of running this ask a monk project in at least what 15 16 cities around the world where you sat More in the that. street not even knowing exactly where you are just sometimes just putting yourself out there with that card that you told me you had a piece of card that said ask a monk anything no it's, it's like a wooden little wooden sign yeah wooden wooden sign okay it's yeah. recyclable i'm pleased uh, klaus what was the uh, what were the top two or three things you got out of that man? What what stuck in well, your head, and what do you think? What do you think is pertinent to the audience here? Hmm. I want to I want to uh, tell you two things. One is that what I learned was that we have different cultural backgrounds. We have di- different social status, uh, gender, um, age, and so mm-hmm. on. We all want to know the same three things. It comes out in different ways depending on our background, but we want to know who am I, what am I doing here, and why. That 80%, I think, of all the questions I got hmm. could be boiled down to one of those three or more of them, right? Right. Uh, so, so that was a very liberating for me to experience because it, it, it instilled in me a faith that there is no us and them. There is only us, right? That we, we see a, a media landscape that promotes conflict constantly. And we think that w- there is us and them. We sure. have socialism, we have capitalism, we have nationalism, we have all these isms that, that actually, they're supposed to bring us together, but actually they divide us yeah. because then we look at who's not one of these things, right? But actually right. there is only us. It's the same things we worry about, we think about, we, but they're expressed differently. So that was a very profound experience for me personally. Now, in terms of what, what you could call the best question, there weren't any bad questions. There may be bad answers, but questions are always good. 
But there was one thing, one guy in Edinburgh that I really appreciated. Uh, he came up to me and he said, so what you're doing here is you're asking me to give up all my preconceived notions, to give up my paradigm. How can I know that you're willing to do the same thing? And should I trust you if you're not? I think that was a very, very uh, profound and deep question, right? That that I'm asking people to uh, take a walk on the wise side, <laughs> to use your title, to, to, yeah. to jump out of that box. To jump out of that, yeah, that box. Yeah. And that is, that is scary. But am I actually willing to do the same thing? Because, okay, you, you're a monk, but isn't that also just a, another designation? Right? Aren't you wearing just another uniform when you're wearing your robes? It became the, the profound. Became a catalyst for a very, very long and, and a very philosophical discussion. Right? So, right. Be, and I can imagine. What, because that is, that is what I'm asking of people is to, for them to trust me. So how can they trust me? It, right. Interestingly, most people, they see a guy in robes, they trust him. It, that was my experience, that people sat down and they would start telling me things that you would need quite a few sessions before you tell it to your therapist. But there I was, we're sitting in open, in public, and they start telling me very, very personal stuff. So, so it is kind of like a, a uniform right. in a way. Like you see a police officer, you see a fireman, you you trust them that they know what they're doing, right? So, so, so let me ask you this: you you you've talked about some of the more profound questions, and you've summarized the three most common questions that everybody seems to want to ask. Let's talk about some answers. Let's talk about some hacks. Let's talk about okay. what we can bring to the audience here. And folks, I know some of you are tuning in and asking. Um, but if there was a hack or two that people could apply in their lives, mm. share a couple of hacks that you think we're either missing in our lives yeah. that we're not doing enough of, or we're doing incorrectly or insufficiently in our lives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that's important for me to, to get across is that you don't have to give up your life. Like I gave away all my stuff and became a monk. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to give up anything. All you have to give up is the idea that the universe revolves around yourself. And like the more you can control the, the environment around you, the more happy you'll be. That's mm -hmm. a bit of a hack because it makes perfect sense. It's like logically, I like things in a certain way. The more I can control, the more I can get it the way I like it, and then I'll be happy, right? But that's because we don't distinguish between happiness and enjoyment. Right. When we get things the way we like it, we're comfortable, we enjoy it, but that's not what happiness is. That's back to the inspiration. Happiness is a sense of connection with the world. That means it has to be dynamic. So, so you don't have to give up the things. You have to give up that they are meant to make you happy. They're, Say that again. I, I, backtrack. You don't have to give up the things. Yes. You have to give up the mentality that they will make you happy. The, why does the car make you happy? You take, take the car apart. You've got a bunch of parts. Which one contains the happiness? Is it the tailpipe? Is it the mirror? Is it the door? It's just Damn a bunch right. of parts. 
you put yeah. them back together, <laughs> suddenly you think this car will make me happy. No, it's 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 the whole context of the car. Context. There's nothing more pathetic than an old guy in a fast car deliberately driving slow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that totally, man. Car will never make him happy. But then at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make you sad either. It's not that the car is bad. It's just mm-hmm. the car, right? So, so, so that's one hack, that major hack, I would say. Don't feel like you have to give up the things. Don't feel like you have to get the things. But whatever you have, use it in such a way that you feel connected with, with your surroundings. Make sure you make other people happy. Don't try to enjoy the world. Act in such a way that the world enjoys you. I love that. Say that again, Klaus. Say that again. <coughs> don't, don't try to enjoy the world. But act in such a way that the world enjoys you, enjoys having you around. Then you'll be happy. And then you won't have to worry about your social status. It can be high. It can be low. There are a lot of people have problems because of low social status. As many people have problems because of high social status, because they don't know who their friends are, right? And there are constant social competition going on. So, so these extremes are usually sources of trouble. So whatever you have, use that to make the world a tiny little bit better. Yeah, even a tiny bit. I think people get caught up in thinking that they got to be like a monk, they got to do a certain level and then they just don't bother yeah. at all because they think, well, how can I achieve that? I got too much on my plate already. But actually it was never we, we're about attached to extreme. Right. We we <clears throat> live in an environment that is addicted to media and media loves extremities because it's the easiest way to get people's attention and that's all they want. They don't have a message. They just want as many people's attention as possible. Right. Because it's, it's just about economics, right? Completely. So then you, we get addicted to extremes and we think like, like you're saying, okay, if I have to change something, that was what I did. I became a monk. You know, it's like, it's extreme. You don't have to do that at all. It's just a little bit. And that maybe that would be the second life hack is do something small that's good every day that nobody finds out about. I love that. that. Say, I love that. <clears throat> Do something small every day that nobody finds out about. Yeah, something love good, that. right? Put a, put a book in its place or, or dust something off, whatever it is. It's, it, it has to be small because what happens is you get firsthand experience that there is such a thing as good. Right. You know, it's not just about other people thinking you're good. There is such a thing as a good act in itself. And right. And you don't have to go to a you don't have to go to a temple, mosque, church, or a place no. of worship to get the validation that something is good. Exactly. You don't have to be a believer in an ism or even a religion. Yeah. You you don't need that additional validation to recognize the essence of goodness. Is what you're saying? In fact, people who do that, in people who use religion to get, get validation, they've completely missed the point, right? That's why religion is getting such a, such a rough ride rough in our society time. today. It's not because it's worse than all the isms. It's, supposed, it's because it's supposed to be better, right? We all know right. the politicians are liars. We all know the bankers are basically robbing us. We all know the media's twisting right. reality. It's what, what, we, what would you expect, right? But religion should be better so when it's not 
we get dis- disturbed, we get disappointed, right? <clears throat> and of course, Definitely. it should be better. It should be better. But it's a human trait. It's a natural thing to fall into that trap of wanting, you know, validation. You said that I was like a famous monk. There was one time uh, I would post something random from my life on social media. Immediately, I would get like hundreds of likes. And I'm not getting that today. And, you know, truth be told, it was nice. You know, you, you scroll through that list of all these people who think it's great what I'm doing, but you, you get addicted to it and you start making decisions based on that, then you've defeated, then, then it works the other way, right? Then you get social anxiety out of it. And right. starting to show that, that there is links between excessive use of social media and social anxiety. So that's the problem. When it becomes an addiction, instead of a tool to communicate with your friends, it becomes the goal itself. Right. We become that's, validation beggars, and and that's yes. dude. That's not that, that's not to that, that's not to be trivialized, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who think that getting the validation on social media is a necessary thing. We've been tricked. Yeah. So yeah. maybe there's a, is is there a life hack in there? Is there is there a life hack in there? Yes, you you have to you have to look at what's the goal and what's the tool. We were talking before about purpose. You have to have a higher purpose than as many likes as possible on social media. <laughs> right. right. If that is it goes the, back to the higher purpose you're going to achieve in your life, you have a problem. Anyone would kind of agree on that. So the social media is a tool. It, it's something right. you can use. Yeah. But it should be used to create deeper and strong relationships with people. So it can be because, you know, I have friends all over all over the world from all my travels and I can maintain contact with them. But if it becomes a quantity thing, that's the problem with a democratic society, with a capitalist society, everything becomes about quantifiable, right? The, the media right. is about the maximum amount of attention. It's attention economics. Yeah, it, uh, it feeds on extremes politics. as well, attention economics. Politics is just opinion <clears throat> economics, right? The maximum amount of people have the same opinion. They're in charge. Automatically, that's the, yeah. the right thing to do. We know it's not true, right? So, so we're, we're constantly being groomed in that direction that, oh, it's just about quantity. But, but what would you rather have? 4,000 people who press like or one person you can go and talk to when you don't feel so good. You know, it's yeah, like if you sacrifice your close relationships to get those in immediate validations, that was another thing I, I realized that, that, that um, when, I, when I stopped being a monk, a lot of these people went away, right? So, so it wasn't about me. It was about some kind of, I don't know if it's glorified life or interesting life, but it was very shallow. So I had this idea. I felt, I felt like maybe I was... Maybe they were in know, love with the, maybe they were in love with the label more than, you know, more oh, than yeah, the person, exactly. right? That, you know, oh, he's a monk. Wow. Uh, everything he do, does is cool. Suddenly you're not a it's monk or supposedly yeah. not a monk with the label monk, though, of course, you're practicing all those yeah. spiritual practices are very much part of your daily life. They're part of your sadhana. They're in your bones. But just the fact that the sheer fact that you don't have the title and people suddenly treat you differently, they're not interested. Yeah, and and important That's for me. That's a lesson, stress, right? There. Important for me to stress. I'm not criticizing any people. It's it's it it is interesting. I get it. You know, so you'd, you'd like yeah. to follow it around, but but I shouldn't think of it as more than that. So I at one point I felt like you know in Disneyland you have Goofy that character Goofy walks around in Disneyland. Yeah, everyone wants to take pictures with Goofy. 
how many people think about the guy inside the goofy costume? Right. Nobody, because it's just the character. So I felt like I'd become a character. You'd become sense. a character, right? Yeah. That's really powerful. Like, you know, how many people, folks, if you're listening in on this, who can relate to the notion that we have to become, we, or we are characters in a sense, in a play? And we're all taking part in. We're in a drama of sorts, as Shakespeare said, of course, famously. We're actors on a stage. We're playing roles. And uh, the likes and dislikes and the validations and the <clears throat> criticisms that we receive from people are based upon the character, not our true identity. Yeah. And that's why a lot of uh, relationships end up having this kind of transactional nature. I love what you can do for me. And when you cannot do that for me anymore, the relationship is over. Right. right. And, and even friendships and even in family, that there is a certain expectation. Completely. Uh, mothers don't like their sons growing up because they like that little child, right? So mm -hmm. there's, there is this, and it's just human Completely. nature. So, 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 and that's why I use meditation because that is my uh, recess from this theater play is the time where I step back from the roles that I play and just go internal, go internally, just, uh, which is essential for me. And I, I think I seriously think it should be taught in school. That, that was my consideration when I was a child. Why is nobody helping me find out who I am? Right. Right. Like yeah. the fundamentals, nobody wants to ask that. Well, then exactly. Because it's difficult when you grow up, like, when you're an adult, it's difficult to add new habits to your life because you're, you're set in those patterns. So, right. so you have to hack your way out of it. You have to make a very concentrated effort, right? I love that fact. The, the, the fact that we're needing to hack, I think there's some really good take-homes from this session here. Firstly, that hacking should not be seen as a, as, a, as a dirty word or as some sort of nefarious art. Hacking is a means by which we are able to extract ourselves from the drudgery of monotonous, samey thinking and look at a situation from a fresh perspective to get the best out of the situation or to transcend a difficult situation that we're in. And that's what we're defining hacking here in this conversation as. And therefore, it becomes a valuable tool, is what we're saying. It's a tool that we can use in... Klaus, you've shared a number of wonderful insights or distinctions that we can hopefully use in our daily lives to employ hacking in a positive way, to ask the meaningful questions, to redefine why we're doing what we're doing, seek the purpose in what we're doing. Let things not own us. We own things. Let not the objects own us, but we own the objects. Klaus, any other parting words for the audience here? Um, yeah, I mean, back to the, I, you know, this whole concept of, of hacking, just, just remember that and this is one of the things from a lot of traveling that you get is you, you, you see that things can be done in a, in a variety of ways and, and the world does not cease to exist. And especially if you've been to India, I mean, wow, that's one of yeah. the most logical uh, arguments for the existence of a higher power is that people can actually survive Indian traffic, right? Because it shouldn't really be, be possible. Um, but, but yeah, always know that you can actually change the script. 
right? You can write your own script. You, you don't, you're not necess- you don't have to follow some unspoken script just because you've always done that. You can change your life. You can change your script and you can change your life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. Klaus, uh, talking of changing our lives, how can we hear and follow you more to take us on a journey of change? Um, you know, uh, I'm doing right now, I mean, some, some videos, um, writing a book about some of the topics that we've uh, nice. discussed here. I believe you may have a podcast also coming out. We do. Yes, we have a Funny podcast. I should <laughs> Funny you should mention that we have a live interview with Klaus Nielsen and he really opens up on some other aspects that we've not had a chance to cover on this conversation. And there's some powerful additional distinctions that I think really came out. It was an excellent interview, if I may say so myself. And that should be available on iTunes and globally on your favorite podcast and digital audio consumption channels. Watch out for the link. We'll be posting it very soon. And you'll be able to consume and enjoy that podcast on the go, wherever you are tuning in from in the world right now offline thank you klaus and when it what about your speaking gigs what's happening and where can people find out more about you um yeah i have a website klausmnilsson.com um and we yeah i'm I'm, uh, working with a few individuals as a like a career coach career counselor you could say and i have some uh, some corporations that i'm working with also at the moment good uh, here in london so it's it's going well uh, and I'm, I'm happy to like there was this question in the beginning uh, if i never uh, kind of missed my old comfortable life and and i didn't actually but i would have to say the same now i'm not missing my monk life i'm you know i'm happy with what i've got now and and, and i'm very happy to be in london it's very very nice to be it's nice to be situated more more in one place and work with some of the same people for a longer time traveling around so much love it klaus we're going to follow you we'll hear more about you folks all of you who stayed till the end and those who've been dipping in and out thank you all for your ear and your hungriness for wisdom which is what we do every time without fail on a walk on the wise side. My name is Prash. It's been an honor to have you all. Klaus, it's been a pleasure having you with us, joining us and sharing your wisdom to the world and those who are destined to hear this message and apply it more importantly in their lives. Everybody, namaste. Peace out. Hey folks, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And as with all our episodes, found something to inform, inspire, and empower you in your spiritual and personal journeys in life. As always, if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a little love through your ratings and comments, share it with those who you care about, and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our events, workshops, or retreats. Find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk. I'm your host, Prash K. This is Urban Spirituality, and we will catch you on the next episode.